Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn with us to Romans chapter 14. We're studying through the book of Romans, and we come to the 14th chapter. And uh, it's a chapter that's very good for a church to hear and uh, be reminded of our responsibility to our Lord and the fact that someday we're going to face Him and stand before Him. Romans chapter 14, begin reading in verse 1. Follow as I read. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath, hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth, not, regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He, he that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he, give, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ, came, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his, in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that, is, that in these things serveth Christ is, is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one, one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to be a group of believers who serve you. And I know, Lord, for this church, as it is for every church that honors the Lord, the devil wants to get in and divide us, and he wants to cause confusion and I just pray, Lord, that you'll, you'll keep that from happening as we draw close to you. We ask, Lord, that you might teach us from this passage 
to be the kind of people we should be and to always realize that every one of us individually stand before the Lord. He is our Lord. He is our master. It's not if he will be. He is if we know him as our Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that we might realize that and we might also understand the day's coming when we're going to stand before him and give an account. Give enablement to bring the message, and if anyone here today has never trusted Christ, I pray the day will be the day of salvation for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the clear teachings of Scripture is that Christians will appear at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives, uh, for, uh, live for Jesus Christ. Only believers are going to stand there. The doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ is taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and this passage that we're reading this morning. This is a total separate uh, judgment than other people who do not know Jesus as their Savior will stand before. The, the judgment they will stand before is called the great white throne judgment. It's separated in time by a thousand years. The great white throne judgment will happen after the Lord destroys this present earth and he will not destroy this present earth until a thousand years go by where he rules and reigns on this earth. So for the climate alarmist, we remind you again, if you're a climate alarmist and you think man's going to destroy this earth, he will not and he cannot because God has said he's going to destroy it. In fact, God is going to destroy it after this earth has probably the, the best time of its, of its existence other than right before the fall because there's coming a time on this earth where, God's, where Jesus is going to rule for 1,000 years and he's going to be king and he's going to be the righteous king and he will make sure that everything is done right. Amen. During that 1,000 year reign of Christ, Jesus will judge those who will not do right. In fact, the Bible teaches there is no religious freedom during that 1,000-year reign of Christ because everybody on the earth is said that they must worship the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so peace will rule. There will be no war or anything like that. The deserts will blossom. It will be a wonderful earth. So that best time of the, year of the earth is yet to come. But at the end of that, the Lord's going to destroy this earth. And he's going to set up that great white throne judgment. And everybody who's not trusted Jesus as their Savior will stand at that judgment. And all of them will be cast into the lake of fire. I don't plan to be there. I'm not going to be there because I have faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if you know the Lord, you'll never be there. But there is a judgment that you will stand at. And that's the judgment seat of Christ. Sometime our actions will be revealed for what they really are. Our motives and all of that are why we serve Jesus. Sometimes people uh, do a lot of things for the Lord, but people don't, other people don't know their motive. Sometimes it's because they love Jesus. Sometimes it's because they love the praise of men. Sometimes it's uh, because they love Jesus. Sometimes it's just to make them feel good. But God knows all of that. We don't know. We're not to judge that, but the Lord does. And someday we'll stand before the Lord as Christians and give an account of our service uh, to the Lord. And so it is with the church of Rome. They were going to do that as well. And they were going to stand before the, uh, before the Lord. But see, the church of Rome had some problems. Problems like many times we find in our own local churches. And the church of Rome had problems because they were made up of two groups of people that didn't quite get along right. 
I mean, the, they disagreed and they criticized each other. And they were the Gentiles and the Jews. Now, what they were arguing about, as, we, as revealed in this chapter, is they were arguing about two things. They were arguing about the diet and they were arguing about days. Now, you think about the diet. What would Gentiles and Jews argue about the diet? Well, it says that they were discussing uh, eating meat and not eating meat and, you know, uh, all of that. And some just ate vegetables. Some uh, were on a meat-free diet. And they were making this an issue and a matter of faith. And it wasn't a matter of faith. And so they were arguing over the, those things. But what would the Gentiles argue about? Well, the Gentiles came from a, a background of uh, idol worship. And for them to go to the marketplace and see f meat on sale, and they knew that meat before had been offered to an idol, it really bothered their conscience, and they would not buy that meat. But the Jewish believers who were not involved in idolatry, at least not dur probably during this time, they were not in, involved in that idolatry, worshiping those idols and everything. It didn't really bother them to buy that meat because an idol is nothing. There's only one God, and an idol is nothing. An idol is, uh, doesn't really uh, exist. As, uh, it doesn't really have a personality. It's just a piece of, of metal or a piece of wood or something like that. And so offering that meat to that idol doesn't change the meat at all. So they, weren't, they didn't have any scruples about buying that meat, so they would buy that meat. But the Gentiles were bothered by it because they knew that it had been offered to an idol, and their past was they worshipped some of those idols. And so it bothered them, and they didn't want to eat it. And so they would criticize the Jew for, for eating it, and, and there was this uh, criticism of each other. But the Jews also were, were upset about some meat because uh, the Jews didn't like to eat pork. In fact, God told them not to. Uh, Jews wouldn't go to your... Uh, uh, well, the other night I went to Mike's house, my wife and I did, Went there to talk to his sister, and they offered to uh, have us come for supper. And his wife uh, served a wonderful dish with, with shrimp in it. With shrimp, right? And, oh, it was good. It was so good. But, you know, if I'd been a Jew, I wouldn't have been able to eat that. They couldn't eat oysters. They couldn't eat shrimp or uh, lobster or anything like that. And they couldn't eat uh, a catfish. You know, we went to Louisiana not long ago. And every restaurant you went there, they all had fried catfish. Every place had fried catfish. They loved their catfish down there, and it was good. But Jews can't eat catfish because that has skin and not scales, and they had, the fish had to have scales. And so the Jews would be upset when they found out the Gentile was eating, uh, you know, catfish or shrimp or oysters or things like that, and uh, they might be upset about that. So all this discussion about diet... And uh, also, they not only did they discuss about, uh, have criticism about diet, but they also had about days. You see, the Jews celebrated certain days, and there were certain feasts that they remembered, and they would celebrate those things. And uh, even though they became Christians, they still had, you know, an affection for those celebrations, and uh, they would participate in, that, in some of that. The Gentiles thought, that doesn't mean anything. And uh, it might have been, be, even been uh, Sabbath worship. They might, even though they were Christians, they might have still held on to some Sabbath observance. And, and the Gentiles, it didn't bother them all, you know, to go on and not celebrate these special days. So the, the, the differences were between diet and, uh, and days. And they criticized each other about that. 
Now, that's the background for what he's writing to, to us about here, and we see that as we read the passage. So I want us to draw three lessons today that Paul tried to enforce on these people. And the first one is this, that we as a church, Paul's writing to the Roman church, and we as a church, in application of this, should also would make sure that we prevent divisions among believers. Let's make sure we don't have divisions among believers. Now, these divisions are seen in this passage. Look at verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So there's some people who Paul considers weak in the flesh. They were the ones that were hung up on days or diets. And um, he considered them weak in, weak in the faith, not flesh, weak in the faith. And one believeth that he may, may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So he says, don't fall out over these issues. Why? Because there's no scriptural support for it. <laughs> A Christian has no scriptural support uh, for uh, con- concentrating these on, de- these, on these days and uh, has no cr- scriptural support for uh, breaking fellowship with somebody who maybe uh, had a f- celebration on a certain day or ate a certain meat. He said those things aren't important. Everybody has their own conscience, their own backgrounds, and things bother them different ways. So let's not divide on that. Let's not have any divisions among the brethren. So do what you can to prevent divisions among the brethren. You might say, well, Pastor, we don't have anything like that, do we, in churches? Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, let's think about it. Uh, some people uh, argue about how, what they allow for somebody to do on Sunday. Now, I personally would not mow my yard on Sunday. Uh, that's the way I was raised, but I have no scripture for that. Now, some people, they go by and they say, Brother so-and-so mowed his yard on Sunday. So what? <laughs> so what? You're bothered by it. Okay, then don't do it. But if he's not bothered by it, if his background doesn't make him so that it bothers him, he comes to church and he's worked all week and Sunday afternoon he mows his yard and he mows his yard. Why fall out about that? Let him mow his yard. You don't have any scripture at all that tells him he can't do that. Why? Because this is not the Sabbath. You see, this isn't the Sabbath. This is the Lord's day. If this was the Sabbath, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now probably. Because it's work to preach, it's work to prepare, it's the hours that go into preparation for a message and all of that. Uh, preachers work on Sunday, but if it was Sabbath observance, we probably wouldn't be doing all that. But, you know, there's, we, we are not worshiping on the Sabbath, we're worshiping on the Lord's Day. And there are no stipulations in the New Testament about what you should or shouldn't do. It just says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, uh, some people are bothered by that, and uh, they shouldn't be. So if your brother, if somebody in this church does something that you wouldn't do on, on Sunday, you know, it used to be oh, people would say, oh, I wouldn't go out to eat on Sunday. I mean, people are employed on Sunday. They shouldn't be working on Sunday, and if I go, I, I support that. And, uh, well, I understand all that, but give me a verse of Scripture. If you're going to divide with people, if you're going to fall out with people, then you should have a scriptural reason to do that. And it's just not worth, it's not worth destroying the peace in the church over these frivolous things. And so that's what Paul is saying. 
Well, let's think about some other ways. Uh, Sometimes it's clothing. I've known of churches who they say, we want our people to dress a certain way. And if somebody doesn't come in dressed more uh, modestly than ushers, you take them out. I've known churches that do that. Have a lady walk in, and she's walked in with shorts, and she's uh, maybe a low-cut blouse, and they'll say, we can't have you in here. So they take her out and say, we don't allow people to dress like that in here. I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. Because, first of all, you don't have a scripture to say that she can't come to church because. Uh, You don't have a scripture for that. I believe in modesty. I believe that's God's rule today is for modesty. And I believe we should be modest. You know Jesus as your Savior, and uh, you serve the Lord, you come to church, dress modestly. I mean, this is the Lord's house. I mean, dress modestly. But if somebody comes in and they're not, guess what? They probably need Jesus. (laughs) And if we take the wrong stand and drive them out, then they might never come to Jesus. The important thing is that they come to know Jesus Christ. They should come to know, and they look at themselves and say, oh, I'm dressed not like these other people, but those people love me. I mean, you can tell they love me, and they want the best for me. God wants us to be that that way. God doesn't want us to break fellowship or just drive people out because of clothing. Some people, it's diet, even yet. I've known some Christians who just will not eat pork because the Bible says don't eat pork. But they'll wear clothes that have different types of material in them when the Lord says not to do that in the Old Testament. You know, that's, you're just picking and choosing what you're going to do and what you're, and you're putting yourself under the law and we shouldn't put ourselves under the law. Now, if you have a problem with eating pork, then don't eat pork. And uh, it would be all right probably if you'd bring it to my house and I would eat it. (laughs) But it would be wrong for me to make fun of you because you don't. And that's what the Lord is saying here. Don't pick out a brother and say, oh, he has this this, uh, thing he won't do and that is so silly and, and you make fun of him. Don't do that. And through the teaching of God's word, he might come around to where that, his conscience is not bothered by that anymore. But if his conscience is bothered by that, the Bible says he shouldn't do it. And you shouldn't try to get him to do it. And let's say I have somebody in the church that I know do not, they do not eat pork. And they wouldn't eat pork. And I bring them over to my house and we have a meal and I serve them pork chops. Guess who would be wrong? They wouldn't be the wrong. I would be doing the wrong. Because I was offending that weaker brother. And if I cause him to go against his conscience and do what he th- his conscience tells him not to do, then he might be emboldened to go against his conscience on other things that are more important. And so the Lord says, don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure that you promote uh, unity and not division in the church. And um, a big issue today is m- music. Uh, music. There are certain styles of music that I don't particularly like, but I don't spend a lot of time condemning that. I've been to churches where people were singing and uh, worshiping in a way that I felt a little comfortable, uncomfortable, but I made a point to look around. As I looked around, I saw they really mean this. <laughs> They're really worshiping Jesus, and the heart is the most important thing. And they might come into our church and be very uncomfortable because we were singing the old traditional hymns. 
That doesn't make us right. It doesn't make them wrong. And when people differ on just the types of music and they fall out about that, that's not right. Because you can't find a scripture that tells me that. You can't find it. You can say, well, uh, they use drums. Well, I, I personally don't like that as much, and especially if they're used in the wrong way, but I have heard them used in a very good way, and it doesn't bother me anymore. But um, if you make that, then you have to support that with Scripture. And what do you do? You go through the Scripture trying to look for it, and you find in the Psalms that there were all kind of percussion instruments. And you go, wait a minute. <laughs> what is it? It's a matter of the heart, my friend, worshiping God. And so let's not make division because of these things. And then the Lord says, uh, in relation to that, not promote division, you'll be fully persuaded in your own mind. If you take a position, make sure you're fully persuaded in your own mind. You're not just fighting against all the things that are coming at you and saying you're wrong. You're fully persuaded that you're doing the right thing, all right? Then you do what you, you feel is right, but don't condemn the other guy because he's not just exactly like you. And remember that Jesus is your Lord. We'll all stand before him. Notice verse 7. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Sometimes we use that verse and we say, Oh, that means we all affect each other's lives. And that's true. But that's not really what this verse says. This verse says, For no man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Or whether we live, we live unto the Lord. <laughs> Why are we living? We're living for Jesus. <laughs> We're to live unto the Lord. And this particular person has a, a stipulation in his life that's very important to him. And he's living for the Lord. He wants to do this because he loves the Lord. Leave him alone. And don't criticize him because he's not just like you are. Thank the Lord all of us are not alike. We're all different. We have different likes and dislikes. And yet I'm so happy in this church that you all seem to get along and fellowship together, and love each other, and that's the way it should be. Determine not to cause your brother to fall. Verse 13, as you're trying to prevent divisions, determine not to cause your brother to fall. And it says in verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block and occasion to fall in his brother's way. Don't you become a stumbling block to your brother. Maybe a brother who has... A, a problem with certain things that you don't have a problem with. Uh, don't become a stumbling block to him. And it says uh, we're not to judge one another. Now, this I've said, I've said many times, the Bible does not teach that you're not to, make, not to make judgments. It doesn't teach you not to make judgments because we have to make judgments. We have to determine what is right and what is wrong. And if somebody is committing adultery and we, that's a friend of ours, it is right for us to say, a friend, this is wrong. This is not right. You say, you're judging me. No, the Bible says this. But when you go judging people's motives and how they serve the Lord and how they live for him and why they live for him, and you say, I know why he did that. I know what he's up to. No, you don't. Only God knows that. Don't you, judge your, don't you be the judge of your brother let them live for the Lord, trust the Lord, serve the Lord, stand bef and because someday they're going to stand before the Lord, the same Lord you're going to stand before. And so uh, don't be a judging one another. And then verse 19 says in, in promoting not, and not uh, promoting divisions, 
You're to follow after things which make for peace and edification. Follow after things that make for peace. And then the second thing that Paul teaches these people is this. You should pursue three essentials in your life. Pursue three essentials. Don't divide over these frivolous things, but pursue three essentials. What are those? Look at verse 17. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're to pursue righteousness. How are we to live? We're to live right. Do you want to know what righteousness means? All you have to see is the first word, the first part of the word, R-I-G-H-T, right. You do what is right. We know it's all, all of us know that it's right to be kind. All of us know that it's right to be forgiving, long-suffering, loving, holy, live holy lives. All of us, all of us know it's right to read your Bible to pray, to witness, to encourage one another, to go to church, to give to the Lord, be faithful in your giving to the Lord. All of us know those things are right. And we know the things that are wrong, so the opposite of that is right. We know that we're not to commit adultery or fornication. We're not to lie. And so we're to do the opposite. We're to be moral people, live pure lives, and we're never to tell lies. And we know all that. So the Lord says, uh, pursue righteousness. Also, he says, pursue peace. Keep peace. I've known in churches where there are certain people who seem that they're intent on just breaking the peace. They're not happy unless they're causing trouble. That is bad. We don't have that in this church, and I'm so glad. But it's not, it's not a good thing, and it's not a, uh, an enjoyable thing to be a part of a church that's bickering and fighting back and forth. I never walk into this church wondering what so-and-so is going to say about me. I don't even think about that because there doesn't seem to be in those type of divisions. And we should promote peace. You shouldn't promote division, but you should promote peace. And if you see something cropping up that could divide brethren, then be the peacemaker. Don't be the gossiper that spreads the news. Be the peacemaker. And so we're to make peace. Keep the peace. Don't be cantankerous or contentious. Don't be backbiting. Don't be a gossip. Keep the peace. And then he says joy in the Holy Ghost. So three things that are essential, righteousness, peace, and joy. And you know, it's interesting, I believe, that as you observe, you'll always find out that if people pursue righteousness and peace, there'll be joy. (laughs) You show me somebody who's not doing right, and they like to get people at odds with each other, they're not happy people. They're not happy at all. They're not joyful people. But if you pursue righteousness and you pursue peace, then joy will follow. Joy of the Holy Ghost. And the Lord wants us to be a joyful people. In fact, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And so uh, joy will come when we live for Jesus. And the Lord says, I want you to do this. I want you to prevent divisions, pursue three essentials, righteousness, Uh, uh, peace and joy and then the the third thing is this Paul said I want you to prepare for an examination prepare for an examination because it's coming we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day because all of us who know Jesus as our Savior we belong to him he's uh, we are his verse 8 says we are the Lord's that's 
That's something we need to remember. It'll help us to live right. And that is, we're Jesus's. We're, we belong to Jesus. We are the Lord's. And uh, to know that we're God's child, we belong to him, should have an effect upon our life. And so we're, he's our Lord and we belong to him. And someday, because we belong to him, we'll stand before him. He's our master. He's our Lord. And we will stand before him and give an account. Now, this is pictured in the, at the passages that I mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and in this passage as well. It's, it's listed that we are to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the Bible pictures Christians in different ways. I want to give you just some of those ways the Lord pictures us. He, he pictures us as stewards. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. A steward is a person who's entrusted with certain things, and he's accountable to those things, and he'll answer for those things. The Lord entrusts you with certain spiritual gifts, at least one spiritual gift, as a member of the body of Christ. The Lord entrusts you with maybe the health that you have. The Lord entrusts you with the finances you have. The Lord entrusts you with the friends you have, the, um, the influence that you have. All those things the Lord entrusts you. The Lord entrusts you with his word. And the Lord wants you to use that properly. He wants you to uh, handle the things that he has given you. You're a steward of Christ. So we're a steward and we're going to stand before the Lord and give our account of our stewardship. We're also a runner. 1 Corinthians 9.26 and Hebrews 12.1 pictures us as a runner we're a runner in a race and so you must run lawfully and so if you as you've run the race for the lord when you stand before him and give an account he will he the question will be have you run lawfully did you cut corners did you deceive people to get your way uh, have you run lawfully and so we'll be examined as a, as, a, as a runner, and we stand before the lord and he's the one who's judging us in our running the race Another thing we are, we're, we're likened unto builders. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We build upon the foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And it says in that passage that some build upon their foundation wood, hay, and stubble. Some be, people build gold, silver, and precious stones. In other words, worthy things and uh, un, uh, unworthy things and worthy things. And so if you build with... Uh, frivolous things, if you build upon the foundation of Jesus of uh, things that really don't amount to anything and you live your life just to pursue riches, you live your life to pursue uh, fame or influence or whatever it might be and you live your life for that, that the Lord says that's wood, hay, and stubble. And if in the sight of men you, you've attained a lot and it means a lot to them and the world thinks you're great because of that and you stand before the Lord and he says that doesn't mean anything to me. But what means something to the Lord is the way you served him, that you served him because you loved him. You served him because you realized if it wasn't for him, you'd go to hell. You served him because he's the one that gave you the strength. He's the one that gave you the abilities. You owe everything to him. As Corinthians says, what do you have that you didn't have and not received? And your answer is, Lord, I don't have anything that I didn't receive. It all came from you. Do You deserve the glory. You deserve the praise. And the Lord says that attitude will get you gold, silver, and precious stones. And so we're builders. We're building on the foundation. And so... As a builder, you stand before the Lord and he examines what you've built. The foundation is right because he's the foundation. But what about your building? 
the building of your life. And you will stand before the Lord and give an account as a builder. And so this should bring humility to us to think that we're going to stand before the Lord. Who is he anyway? He's God. Stand before God. He's totally holy. Never did anything wrong. Never thought a wrong thought. Never did anything wrong at all because he's holy. We also stand before him as as the one who's omniscient. He knows everything. You won't stand before God and say, but Lord, the reason I didn't. No, he knows everything. He knows it all. And you can't stand before the Lord as you do sometimes, and you might sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you might stand before a judge and say, but, but judge, I remember one time I did that. The only time I remember standing before a judge, I was a young person, and I got several tickets as a young person, <laughs> driving tickets. And this guy, this policeman pulled me over for going left of center. And um, I had to go before the judge. And, I, and he said, do you have anything to say? And foolishly, I said, yes, I said, uh, the reason I went left to center, I was, I was straddling, a, I think it was a dead cat or something like that. And I looked ahead, and I knew it wasn't going to cause any trouble, but he didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I went left to center, and the guy, thought, the guy approaching me thought that I was coming over in the lane, and, and so he gave me the ticket. And it didn't do any good to tell him my reasons. When we stand before the Lord, he knows everything. And won't do us any good to try to explain why we were unfaithful. God knows. And so the Lord says he is omniscient. He's also omnipotent. I mean, he's all-powerful. And we'll just shrink, I believe, in all of the one that we're standing before. And the fact is, the, the main thing is, we stand before him and we realize the one that we're standing before is the one that loved us. Loved us so much that he died for us on the cross. Loved us so much that he paid for all of our sins. All of our sin was laid on him on the cross of Calvary. And God's judged Jesus for us. That's the gospel. He judged Jesus for us. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave as proof that it was all paid for. And he invites everyone to come and trust him as our Savior. And we stand before the one who we trusted and we believed on him, and we've counted on him to get us to heaven, and we're in heaven, but yet we stand there empty, and we haven't done much for the Lord, and we'll stand before the Lord. It'll be a humbling experience. But it'll also be an experience that has great possibilities. And because standing before the Lord, there's a possibility of getting crowns. Now, the Lord mentions some crowns, like the crown of life for enduring temptation and loving him. James chapter 1, verse 12. The crown of rejoicing, which is probably the soul winner's crown, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, where Paul says that what is, your, what is our crown? Our crown of rejoicing are not even ye. So he led them to the Lord, and they become a crown of rejoicing for him. There's a crown of righteousness, all them that love his appearing. If you just love the fact that Jesus is coming back, and you look forward to his return, the Lord says he has a crown There's the crown of glory for the pastors, I believe, who feed the flock of God faithfully. I hope to get that crown someday. But you get that crown by being faithful to the Lord and feeding the flock the word of God. And the Lord says there's a crown of glory. And there's others, I'm sure, as well. There's the incorruptible crown. And so, but we're going to receive crowns from serving the Lord. 
It's like the Lord as examining us, and sure, we've not done all that we should, but he says, you did this right, I appreciate that, and I'm going to crown you for that, and so he gives us a crown. Now, another possibility of standing before the Lord is loss, because 1 Corinthians 3 says, and some shall experience loss. They will be saved, yet so as by fire, an expression that says they're going to be saved, sure, because Jesus died for them. They're not in heaven because of what they did. They're in heaven because of what he did. And they're standing before the Lord, and, uh, but they haven't lived for him as they should. I believe the scripture teaches that everybody will receive some reward, but just not to have a special crown to place at the Lord's feet, uh, that'll be a sad thing. Loss of rewards. What we could have done, but we didn't. What a loss. And then there's something else, and that's the privilege that comes from that judgment seat of Christ. And that is Revelation chapter 4 teaches us the 24 elders, which I believe represent the church, take their crowns, and those crowns have been given them by the Lord, and they place them at his feet. It's like the person wearing the crown, standing there before Jesus and realizing everything they've ever done is because of him. If it wasn't for him, they couldn't have done anything. And it's like we're saying, Lord, this just doesn't feel right here. I don't really deserve this. And in worship, we take that crown and place it at his feet. What a wonderful prospect that we're going to be able to place the crown at the Lord's feet. Us saying, Lord, you are worthy. And that's what they say in Revelation chapter 4. The 24 elders take their crowns and put them at the feet of Jesus. And they say, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. You see, friend, someday we're going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to give an account. Several years ago, in fact, it was in 1974. There was a preacher that came to the church where I was assistant pastor in West Virginia. And he preached a message, and that is, I remember the title of the message, I took some notes on it, and it said, uh, tell it to the judge. So he was bringing up all the things that people say, you know, why they won't do this, why they won't do that, and he said, tell it to the judge. And then he quoted this song, this, this poem. Now, it's not all probably scripturally correct, but it's a, a really a good poem. And so I had a tape in those days, and I played that tape over and over, and I'd write down a line. I'd play it again, write down a line. I don't know who wrote the poem, but I wrote this down, and I'd like to read it to you this morning. Standing before Jesus, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he shows, his, shows me his plan for me, the plan for my life as it might have been had he had his way with me, And I see how I blocked him here, and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? He wanted me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. Fair memory runs like a haunted thing down the paths that I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well night break with tears that I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with my empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. O Lord of the years that are left for me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, and mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Let's pray.
Father, help us to realize that someday we'll face you. And I pray that we'll be good stewards, good runners, good builders, and you'll be able to say, well done. Lord, I ask for everyone here who knows Jesus that someday they'll receive a crown that he can place at his feet. You deserve all the honor, Lord. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise. And I pray that we, realizing this, would make sure that in our church there are not divisions over, divisions over frivolous things. I pray that we'll love each other, we'll serve together, we'll represent Jesus and tell others about him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.